Borak Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 25th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK zone, Galaxy's Greatest Comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This week, we're taking a break from our usual weekly progs to cover the 2080 annual 1979. Once again, remember that these are numbered for the year after they came out, so this one actually comes out in September 1978. Uh, just like everything from the last two episodes has, go away, September 1978. We've had enough of you. <laughs> um, like the Dandere annual, this one features both familiar thrills told by unfamiliar creative teams, stories from the IPC Fleetway Vault, and text articles about space stuff, including a recap of in uh, popular space movie Apollo 13. <laughs> How you doing this week, Fox? Uh, stoked for another annual? Oh my god, it's all a farce. Get the fuck out of here while you can. Uh, 2000 AD annual is a trap. And before they gas me again and give me that delicious supplement that makes me agreeable, uh, just run, run. <laughs> pay, pay, pay no attention to Fox. Uh, 2000 AD annuals and special editions are fun and excellent and a good addition to any science fiction library. What an investment at such a low price. So many things that you can go through in this comic, and so many colors and also comics. I can Think tell you of that all I, the things you will learn. I actually own copies of both 2080 annuals that we've covered so far, and they are glorious hardcover comic books that are very nice. But uh, the comics within, <laughs> uh, not super. So <laughs> I'm not saying it's trash. I'm just saying it's probably garbage. Speaking of which, 301, the biggest game of all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Sound of Thunder stuff, basically. A trio, yeah. of, a trio of future dudes travel back to dinosaur times. They're going to kill a brontosaurus. One of them dude's goes, an asshole. Yeah, yeah he, go, he goes berserk and starts killing everything. He's like, hey, look at that guy. Um, look at that thing on that tree. I'm going to shoot it. Oh, I <laughs> shot it. Who cares? I don't like birds anyway. It's um, like, come on, bro. Yeah, like, be be cool in the past, man. But Be cool about time safety. <laughs> be cool about time safety. But be cool. He, he is not cool. Um, he decides that he's going to toss water on this grease fire and eventually ends up get, getting killed by a, a T-Rex. Which is cool. I thought there was going to be a weird old one-eye wink and a nod because he shot it right in the face. But No, this is an entirely was. non-related story about time-traveling dino killers, buddy. And also a company that brings you back in time to do said dino killing. Right. It's like but some so, parallels there, man. Yeah. But so the remaining two guys return to the future. When they do, they see the entire human race has never existed. Yeah, good job, team yeah. douche. Ah, it always happens. That's why you don't go back in time to kill things in any situation. Just, just don't go back in time. It seems like you just fuck things up. Yep. Hey, speaking of time, non-thrill, 12 loon hours past zero. Oh, God. So this is, I'm just not, I'm not going to read the titles for all of the various um, nonfiction things and articles that we're going to be reading in, in this annual. But the first one is, um, you know, some dude has developed a, um, a time system for the moon. Ugh. 
it uh, breaks everything to 24 lune hours in a day with 100 moon minutes in a lune hour and 100 moon seconds in a moon minute. Um, but, you know, that's just so you know what time it is for lunch and stuff when you're on the moon. Because, just as everyone knows, every time is the right time when you're on the moon. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I'm going to confess I didn't read this. It Don't was about, about it. time in the moon. Yeah, man. Moon time. You got to get a, a moon watch? <laughs> Get a moon walk with that moon watch, buddy. Oh my god. I just, like, this is a thing that you put in here, I guess. This isn't true, right? Man, I don't know about moon time. (laughs) Why would you, why would you just keep a clock? You know, there's no, there's no base on the moon that would require you to reset your watch, you know? It's like if you're just taking a, a day trip to, um, like, like, like you're getting on a plane and you're gonna fly to Vegas um, yes. And you're gonna be there for like a day. That that then you're gonna fly back to California. There's no point in setting your clock to like Mountain Time or whatever, you know. Yeah. Like you're you're just there for like a day, you know. <laughs> well, same, like even if you same thing with the moon. The moon is the Vegas of the solar system. Boom! <laughs> I said it. I mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're better off just using a clock based in in on on whatever time it is. At uh, at Houston or whatever, you know. I so, I feel like that's true because those are the people you're communicating with. There's like four of you up there. Yeah, and, and it's like not like everyone else back down there. And it's not like there's a free buffet on the moon at at at, at uh, two p.m. <laughs> two loon hour, you know, fourteen hundred loon hours. You know, you oh. gotta keep an appointments when you're on the moon, man. No one gives a crap. Where do you gotta be? <laughs> moon men are notoriously um loose about scheduling that's just a fact well and i feel like if you're on your really sweet flying uh, hover surfboard throwback by the right. way about to be replaced uh, by really, a shape changer yeah <laughs> you get really lost or uh time gets kind of uh lost when you're just cruising the uh the dunes of the moon yeah dude we've spent way more moon minutes talking about this than I ever intended to. Let's go on to <laughs> Thrill 2 Mach 1. Oh my so, god, a good old Mach 1 story. Yeah, this, one's a, uh, this one's a, 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 a flashback Mach 1 story. Of course, John Probe is dead, but uh, we can still t- learn about some of his lesser known adventures here in the pages of the 2080 annual, and we will continue right, to do so. Animating his corpse. Could be that too. <laughs> So uh, this week, so, you know, just for a reminder, Mach 1, a.k.a. Secret Agent John Probe, he got uh, acupuncture that infuses him with hyperpower, so it was hyperpuncture. <laughs> He's uh, superpowered and involves computers, too. He's a man activated, acu- activated by compupuncture hyperpower. Boom. That's just so weird. And he's number one, not number zero. Well, he's the first successful one. Yeah, Mach Zero is still best. He was unsuccessful, that's why he's zero. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And then Mach 2 was a robot who wasn't even... Whatever, I, I don't know. get into it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> So we're in Montreal, Canada, all right? Um, there's a, a touring... A great place to set the stage, so exciting. Well, you, you, it's got to be because it's uh, hockey time. There's a touring, oh, yeah. touring Russian, Russian ice hockey team playing friendlies against the Canadians. The goalie... <laughs> Is the brother of a uh, of a brilliant Russian scientist who has defected to the West, and he won't give over his various bomb-based secrets until his brother is uh, safely also defected 
to make it happen, enter John Probe, Mach Man, and use whose superpower also makes him super good at hockey, naturally. <laughs> um, also involved in the hockey game is uh, Traska, who is a savage Mongolian KGB spy. Which, what? All right. Anyhow, it's, it's cool, you know, uh, Probe manages to toss like some uh hey you you should defect type information to the goalie and then eventually they meet up after the game and the goalie brothers like all right i i i will defect and then all the other team which are all 100% KGB agents attack <laughs> the goalie oh, but, and probe. but you missed the you missed the best part like before he gets the information to the goalie guy like he starts a brawl so that he can go over and hand the stuff over but then the the captain's like hey that looks a little weird they're not fighting and then he's like dude quick before they suspect something hit me in the face with your with your goalie hockey stick and he's like that'll kill you man he's like ah it'll be all right just smacks John listen probe the face that part's cool but it is the third best part of this story oh. that's fair <laughs> the second best part is after Probe jumps around and beats the crap out of all these KGB guys, he wraps them up in the net, which I guess is what they had before they had glass around the sides of ho- of hockey rinks. And he wraps them all up in the net and then just throws them like they're a giant thing of fish. <laughs> Smashes a guy. But, yeah, but then the best part <laughs> is when... <laughs> Agree. Um, is when Traska, the KGB agent, is like, oh, geez, we're blown. I got to get out of here. And he runs. And then Probe picks up a hockey puck and he throws it at the back of Traska's head at 592.45 miles per hour. <laughs> almost 600 miles per hour. Which, seriously, man, you don't need to do it then. <laughs> Which is, I think, possibly breaking the sound barrier. I forget. Well, it sure as fuck would have exploded his head. Wait, hold on just a second. Oh, yeah, let's do some science. This is a sci-fi comic. Oh, uh, no. If it had been... <laughs> if it had been 270 miles... If it, had, if it had been 270 some miles per hour faster, that would have actually gone at Mach 1, which I think would have been very funny. But <laughs> Oh, man. Because the speed of sound is uh, 767.26. Or maybe I guarantee seven. that's what they wanted to do, but it's like, well, you can't make a man's head explode. Man, 500 miles per... Uh, <laughs> that thing's going at 600 miles per hour, all right? With an accuracy of 1.1 millimeters, whatever that means. But basically, it hits this... Uh, it hits Traska in the back of the head and instantly kills him. But frankly, it should have gone through his head, if you ask me. I mean... Yeah, pretty strong dude. KGB makes him tough. Like 600 miles per hour, dude. That's whatever. Anyhow, it's really fast. But at least he ends the whole thing giving uh, giving what's his face some back chat. Yeah, but so uh, you know, the brothers are reunited, and it's a successful mission for Mach One. Oh yeah, and Mach One's like, uh, why don't you make my next mission uh, easy? Like, like. Going to the going to the going to the moon or saving the world or something. I don't like this this <laughs> hockey stuff. And the uh, his handler's like, "That's enough, Yuma Mach One." Yeah, you're a you're a weapon, not a man. Exactly, as always. So so this is like the B list team, right? Like who whoever does the the annuals and stuff like that. Yeah, and or it's yeah, definitely seems like it. 
So whoever wrote and drew, like the team that was behind this Mach 1, fucking mm-hmm. gets it. Um, this is definitely one of the more getting it stories that we've seen so far. And like, what the hell, man? It came out of Mach 1. I, I'm really impressed. Like, it was all of the all of the weird schlocky shit is back with none of the racism and all of the hyper power. It was just super yeah. enjoyable. Now, this is a real this is a real good Mach 1 story for sure. Which is weird. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, real quick, uh, we go to some more uh, non-thrills. Hooray. Quick feature on uh, Werner von Braun, who is a lot of things. One of those things is possibly a Nazi. I don't know. But (laughs) definitely did build rockets for the Nazis, I'm just saying. You know, start your conspiracy theories here. Then... Then there's a story, a, a, a text story called Fatal Vision, which oh. is about like <laughs> space dudes and there's like mon- space monsters and blah, blah, blah. An astronaut <laughs> you thinks you know see- what happens. An astronaut thinks he's seeing things, but it turns out they're actual space monsters and it's like whatever. Um, I'm here to read comic books, not to read uh, words. So yeah, this is this is three, like or four sizable columns of text that, in parts, has to be broken apart by like line breaks and shit. It's yeah, it's not good. It's tough, man. You know, leaves you wanting more, which is why we go to thrill three food. <laughs> It's also, called food, I really buddy. liked your intro. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch of dumb guys get together and crash a ship, only to yeah have some cool of... stuff happen. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of dude, bunch of dudes uh, <laughs> fall, uh, crash their ship on a planet. There's it's a oh, barren strikingly wasteland. different looking dudes, which I think is interesting. Well, yeah, I guess so. There's like one guy who's got long hair, one guy's got short hair, one guy has glasses. I think yep. there's like a like a fat dude? Yeah, there's a bald fat dude. But, uh... But, you know, <laughs> as they it's travel the barren wasteland, they find a, uh, like a radish on the ground. Like, I'd say a, a Super Mario Brothers 2-style radish. Yeah, I'd say, you know, they they want to pick it up and, and toss it at some not-goombas. Yeah, they want to eat it, because they on this, cause they crash on this barren wasteland, there's no other food. They're like, hey man, there's not enough radish for everybody, we gotta figure out how we're gonna split it up. And so they decide to have a fight to the death over it, because that's what you do. I guess the best of friends, right? <laughs> Always. Um, and they fight each other to the death, they all end up dying in the course of the fight to the death. Uh, and- in fact, one of the dudes uh, gets super naked wraps his clothes and boots and everything around a bunch of rocks so that when the dude shoots it it explodes with rocks and then he's like ah, I'm naked and he shoots him but Oldest then a grenade goes off <laughs> then, trick in the book yeah man you put your clothes on some rocks duh <laughs> this is what you're gonna lose when we have to fight to the death for the radish fox oh man I'm just gonna give up I'm gonna be like you have the radish awesome. I don't wanna shoot people <laughs> anyhow at the last moment after they all died, oh no! It turns out <laughs> that the radish is actually some kind of head dealy for <laughs> a space monster guy that was been hiding underground. His radish-like head dealy hanging out to draw in more people, and he's presumably just going to eat all these dudes. Um, yeah, yeah. Eat all their he's dead like, bodies. Oh, humans! This is going to be great. 
Yeah. So, you know, don't trust the radish, I suppose. Whatever. It, this also, it's it's got that, uh, that bam bam vibe, too, <laughs> without, like, the... Without, like, the weird, um, uh, like, fable-esque feel, right? Like, what did you learn with this? Yeah, well, Don't it's a good, all your friends. No, it's a good twist. It's, uh, you know, it turns out that all along they wanted food, but now, in fact, they're the food. They're food. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. <laughs> you know, that's They fair. just don't call it Future Shocks, but it's definitely Future Shocks. Oh, yeah, always. Like, the biggest game of all was that. Yeah. So I'm all, I'm all right with with schlocky garbage. Yeah. No, I like uh, a good but, a good future oh, shock that ends with everybody's dying and stuff like that. Anyhow, we quickly jump in for a text thing about how uh, Jules Verne invented sci-fi, which is probably true. Like I like Jules Verne, yeah. man. He's a he's a good author if you kind of like a more sort of turn of the century auth- um, authorship, which I think could be trying for some people. It's like how I don't know. Sometimes I have trouble watching old movies because I'm used to the go go nature of the future, you know. Mm. Oh yeah, I mean my my nephew can't sit through uh, can't even sit through like a Jimmy Stewart movie. Yeah, um. that leads us to thrill for the phantom patrol no no yeah kill me now (laughs) (laughs) so i just want to go out on record because it's the internet like i once said that the phantom patrol is a cool idea and i stand by that notion that idea Mm. works really well in 2000 ad the concept Mm. okay the concept but this is from what I can only describe as prehistory, though the art is great with faces. Uh, boring words everywhere. <laughs> yeah, How can so... you make soldiers that go back in time and shoot at Romans and fly around with magic hats? Boring. Well, let me let, let me provide some backstory for everybody, Fox, because most people, I think, are blissfully unaware about what the deal with Phantom Patrol is. Oh God! Yeah. So, yeah. So we saw a previous version of Phantom Patrol in our last uh, annual, an annual 1978. Which, mm. by the way, that was 19 episodes ago, Fox. Oh my God! There's so many episodes. At, when we w- when we read that, I said that we didn't have to worry about it because there'd be no more Phantom Patrol. But time makes liars of us all, I suppose. So here we are back <laughs> with it. Two of them. The basic idea is that a bunch of World War II dudes get time-stranded in the past and they have to fight their way out. Um, This episode... Relics or something. Yeah. This episode takes place a fair way into the series, it seems like, um, as the patrol is now down to, like, three dudes, and they've picked up a dude from the future, and they've also got some sweet sci-fi stuff, like a helmet that lets you fly and translates languages, and a rifle that can also be a force field. But, uh, basically, (laughs) they fight and then team up with some Romans over the course of about 14 or so comic book pages. It goes on forever. The type is very small. It's written in a heavy, constant, like, Rick Random, Colony Earth kind of way that's very hard to follow and also very boring. Nothing happens. They don't kill anyone. Uh, and it's just a bunch of like, oh, I've got this anti-gravity helmet that lets me fly around. I'm going to fly around and talk to everybody and whatever. Uh. Um, and it continues on and blah, blah, blah. And um, that's it for Phantom Patrol. Stay tuned for more Phantom Patrol in 2080 Annual 1980. Oh, sorry. Coolest thing that happened was a dude flamethrower to a galleon. That's fair. 
That was kind of cool. But that was like, you have to get through like 10 pages just to see him do that, and then it never happens again. I don't care if this Phantom Patrol story, I must say. <laughs> I, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't even schlock, right? Like, it, it's this thing that's played super straight. Maybe, maybe like when it came out, this was like a really novel concept, and that kind of carried it. But good lord, man, I don't know a child who wants to read that many small boxes of small text. Like, I could see it being action-packed if everything else was of this level of action, but as it is, it is not. No. And even though this annual is not, is not super... Like this Phantom Patrol story, ooh boy. No, it's, it's just, a stinker. It's just quicksand in the middle of this whole thing. Anyhow. Yeah. Uh, my big suggestion, if you are reading along, is just fucking skip it. You're mm. not going to gain anything. Look at the pictures, because there's, there's a dude flamethrowering a fucking galleon. That's kind of yeah. better. So uh, me, let's go back to uh, non-thrills, where... <laughs> In the middle of the Phantom Patrol story, there's a thing about submarine-fired atomic cruise missiles that would have made me nervous in 1978 and continues <laughs> to make me nervous in the future. Because, the, yeah, that's like the big thing now. <clears throat> yeah, I don't Still. appreciate it. Meanwhile, no. there's um, <laughs> there's a, 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 a text article called We Have a Problem, which is basically a recap of Apollo 13. But, uh, Conrad, what went wrong? I don't know. I don't. There's a fuel thing. There's some uh, <laughs> some diagrams. I don't know. Then there's a final um, there's a final text thing about uh, Yuri Gagarin, who is the first man in space slash a filthy commie. All right. Yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, he's no Volg, but he is a communist. Well, yeah, he doesn't have the uh, the Nazi seasoning that Volgans have. <laughs> Anyhow, thrill five. Dr. Sin. Hmm. I wonder how familiar this feels, Conrad. I mean, okay, one. <laughs> cursory research I've done says this might have been a, uh, a story that was going to be in, like, some sort of uh, Black Magic-based weekly comic, weekly anthology oh, story. That would have been awesome. But that never came to be, so instead they just um, tossed it in this annual. Dungeons and Dragons are in it for everybody. Maybe. I don't like stupid devil a, worship. There's a, the satanic panics really in like the eighties in America. I don't oh, know when yeah. it was in, in England. But okay, sure, so being much more sensible. <laughs> so there's this dude, his name is uh Harry Ellis. His brother's <laughs> dead, and his dead brother is all scratched up and is missing a right arm, so he investigates. Harry investigates his brother's death. And he gets help from occultist Dr. Sin to help him inve- investigate. And like, Which is, he's, that's really on the nose. <laughs> yeah. And like, Dr. <clears throat> Sin is like, we kind of talked about this beforehand, how Dr. Sin is sort of maybe a little Dr. Strange-esque in that they're both doctors and they both deal with occult stuff. <laughs> Seems very uh, comparable. I mean, man, not really, but I could see how, why you would think that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I I suppose I mean it's like, they're like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's run with it. Something. But so, yeah. uh, basically, Alice and Dr. Sin start investigating stuff. They find a bunch of uh, cultist dudes doing doing rituals. Dr. Sin tosses holy cool water hats. on them. Yeah. They're wearing cool hats and, like, demon masks. Dr. Sin tosses some holy water on them and, you know, kills them, basically. If I'm more possessed, guys. Super easy, man. Yeah. They continue investigating. Eventually, they find more cultists doing stuff. And um, they find uh, 
Harry's brother's um, hand, and it's possessed and all alive, like thing from the Adams family, and they tries to choke him and stuff. Yeah. Uh, instead, well, they it kind of was that was at the dinner party, right? Like, yeah, they meet a dude who's definitely Lucifer, and they're like, "Oh man, Doctorson's like, don't trust that guy. He's weird." And he's like, yeah, no worries, I won't. And then he's like, I'm going over to his house for a dinner party. And they serve him up his own brother's hand. Yeah, and then tries to choke him because it's all magic-y. But they toss him in the yeah. fire. Dr. Sin shows up and uh, holy waters everybody. <laughs> it and, seems to be his go-to move. I mean, it, it works, you know? Yeah. And that's don't, what basically... Fix what ain't broken. Yeah, and that's how it goes. You know, Dr. Sin is, is, is victorious and these cultists can bite it. Good times. Does he look strangely like Lex Luthor to you? I mean, he's definitely bald. Um, I mean, maybe that's just me bald shaming. He's got some big eyebrows and stuff. I don't know if that's a Lex Luthor thing. Mm. Like, he, he's kind of like thin and old. And, and Lex Luthor is built a little bit more solidly in my sort of imaginings of Lex Luthor, I suppose. Yeah, the, uh, the Legion of Doom, he was definitely pretty ripped, upper body-wise. Yeah. Whereas... Uh, Dr. Sid is more sort of in a spindly old guy with a cape, you know. Yeah, I mean, looking good, but also, I, I guess I should say stylish, but not looking good. <laughs> Indeed. Very gaunt. <laughs> so, next one, there's a, there's a non-thrill about uh, mediums. <laughs> and Which, alright. Their strange power, possibly um, being based on... Future time travelers going back in time and trying to make an easy buck using their knowledge of the future to Which, um, what to scam people and stuff. Yeah, but what would they do with then times money? They can't bring that shit to the future. They use credits in the future, like every future comic. There's so many things you could do, man. You could use the money and just put it in a savings account. And then <laughs> when it transfers to the credits in the future, you just withdraw it. I guess so. Or you use it to buy, like, objet d'art and then dit dart, and you toss it in, like, a bank vault, and you pick it up a thousand years later, you know? Oh, jeez. Like, I just no one, buy a bunch of Fabergé eggs. Like, no one cares about this issue number one of 2000 AD now. It only costs, like, seven pence. But I buy, like, <laughs> 70 of them. I toss them in this bank vault. I pick them up 40 years later, and I sell them for a thousand bucks each. That's fair. That's right, it's fair. I I think uh. what <laughs> I think what's really weird is it's like a cult. So we're we're sandwiched here where it's like let's talk about uh the first astronaut in space, then have a creepy or a weird satanist comic and then yeah. a weird then magician mediums. <laughs> yeah, and then Dan Dare. Like what? Thrill 6 Dan Dare. <laughs> hey, so we're back in time with Dan Dare, man. Space Fort's back. All our buddies are alive. It's good times. Oh, we even get we even get a new red shirt that gets eye I blinded. Yeah. Also back is a space biologist, or I guess a galaxologist, Doctor Brian Orion. <laughs> named it <laughs> man so so nice they named him twice. <laughs> but uh, Brian Orion tries to um, scrape a barnacle off the side of the ship. Which, come on, man. It blasts him right in the face. Yeah, it gets all sexy on him. Yeah, and because of that, he's uh, blinded. He's blind forever. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not taking it too well. 
just sitting soon, in the dark being sad. Yeah. Soon afterwards, the ship is pulled down by a magnetic force to a weird planet. Um, Dan Dare is like, all right, everybody else stay behind and work on something to counteract this magnetic force. I need eight men to come with me. So here's here's what I'm going to do. Eight men. Uh, I'm going to be one. Uh, main characters, Hitman and Bear, you guys are two and three. And we're going to need five red shirts. And... Oh, and Orion's like, oh, I could be a red shirt. And Dare's like, all right, blindy, you're good to go. But don't expect yes. any special treatment just because you're a blind. Which is like, what the fuck? It's so Dan Dare. It's like, I don't care that you're disabled. If you're coming, you better be ready to red shirt. Yeah, you pull your weight, no see. Um, <laughs> they sort of investigate this planet. It's got a lot of ruins and stuff. There's radiation everywhere. Um they find the ca- they, they, they go down to some caves where there's less radiation and immediately come across some vampire looking dudes. Yeah, it's the descent all over again. They even poke him in the eye. Well, they immediately get in there and it turns the uh, as they try to talk to the vampire guys, the vampire guys puts their hands over their ears like, "Ah, you're so loud." Like, what the f, man? Whisper. So, it turns out that I guess there was a big war on the surface and all these dudes escaped to the underground, and once they got to the underground, they spent years fighting under in the caverns underneath the planet, and now they're all hella blind. No eye, <laughs> not one eye among them. Nope. Meanwhile, and then a big old scooper comes by and starts digging up stuff. Yeah, well, it turns out that they're also being uh, raided by these dudes called the Plutons. Who I wonder are- what they do. Well, they're looking for the radioactive topsoil of this uh, planet to aid their plutonium-based society or something. Which, you know. I mean, seems pretty innocent. That's kind of what we do. Yeah, but that's different. And Dan Dare <laughs> proves it by shooting these dudes. <laughs> like a lot. He, they disintegrate at one point. Yeah, our boys kill a whole bunch of them, and then they figure out a way to use... To uh, the guys who've been on the ship working for something to counteract the magnetic thingamawetchets that goes on with this planet, do so, and it messes up the plutons, and they're like, ah, now we're dying, you've poisoned us to death, um, and they'll never bother th- bother this planet again. Oh, I should mention that this planet is called uh, the Asteroid of Orion, so it's like, you guys are safe, have a good day, and... <laughs> As they do, the biologist, oh, Ryan, said, like, oh, apostrophe, Ryan, says, hey, I'm blind. I'm going to hang out with these blindies. You know, we have a lot in common, like like how we can't see nothing. And Dan there's like, all right, goodbye, Orion. You're Orion of Orion now in the country of the blind. Which, God, he really does not like blind people. Yeah, so they they take off. Orion's like, hey, cool beans, guys. You guys have already died as you've continued your ex- your explorations. So have a good one. I'm going to live and date some of these cool blind chicks or whatever. Hey, man, they're available and will not size him up by his looks. It's true. They'll just feel around his eye sockets or whatever. I don't know. Do you think that it was uh, intentional? That as the ship was flying away, that they had him waving in the wrong direction. <laughs> you son of a bitch. He's, he's waving at the ship, basically. It's close enough. I know, but you know, it probably wasn't how it went down. Maybe. Okay, Thrill 7, a serious case for treatment. Oh, look, more words. Oh, yeah, Amber is, Alert. That's this is great. The, uh, this is the cover story for the... Uh, 
for the annual. It's a big four-page text story. It involves lizards, dudes, a heroic space horse, and some deadly lasers. Um, also, the goodies answer a, an amber alert, which used to just mean like a yellow alert. Now it means a kid is missing. How times change. <laughs> um, next up, Thrill 8. Watch this space for laughs. <laughs> and this is just a collection of uh, single panel sort of far side type cartoons that are all alien or supercomputer based, basically. Yeah. And there's a man who's invisible, who's like walking to the patent office, and everyone's like, "Hey, you're jumping the queue, right?" Or like a, uh, like a, "Hey, the supercomputer isn't working. Oh, there are mice in it." Or like some aliens come down to Earth and they find a rhino, and they're like, "Oh, geez, like I hope all humans aren't like this because this rhino is a jerk." <laughs> it's just, it's just really corny comedy. I'm yeah. really just trying to, you know. God, I'm trying to think of a joke. Pig out on these laughs so that I don't have to... You don't gotta reach for it, buddy. Thrill 9. Guinea pig. Oh, because I don't wanna... Oh, no, it's cool, man. So, uh, Mike Lane (laughs) is this dude. He's agreed to do sci-fi experiments in the year 1990. He He gets the job by writing his name while he's being subjected to this, uh, huge centrifuge. His first job is to take a pill. The pill makes him intangible, and his boss, the uh, evil sci-fi doctor in the wheelchair, starts giving him instructions. But in the end, but Mike quickly can't hear him because intangibility means that sound can't vibrate his eardrums, so we can't hear. Which I actually kind of appreciate, just sort of as yeah. the uh, implications of this thing. But he's intangible; he can walk through walls and stuff. He uh, ends up checking out a rocket, like, of a model that's that's been blowing up constantly, basically. <laughs> he jams his head inside the rocket and sees that there's a leak in the fuel cells, and then sort of, because he's intangible, survives the subsequent rocket explosion and tells, says what's going on. So whatever. Which, hey, that's pretty, you know, useful, I guess, display of his powers. Yeah. This gives him his next job, which is to test an anti-gravity spacesuit. Which basically, he puts in the spacesuit, and then he just starts rising up into the sky and flying through the stratosphere. He ends up landing on the moon, and he sort of walks around the moon a bit, and eventually finds this crazy moon snake that starts attacking and electrocuting him. Aw, jeez. It starts to get real sexy. Guinea pig, to be continued later this prog. Oh no, I'm at the edge of my seat. Yeah, which takes us to Thrill 10, The Last Lonely Man. Some good shots in this one. Yeah, so Last Lonely Man, it's like, um, so, you know, Dateline, a million years in the future. You, or everyone on Earth is dead except for you. You're being kept alive by robots who have kept you alive for 300 years, replacing parts as needed. You're waiting for humans to return from distant stars to reclaim the lost knowledge of humanity. Eventually, some humans do arrive, but when they do, the robots all blast them. Why? Because they scan differently from you, because you've been kept alive by robots for the last 300 years, and now (laughs) you barely resemble a human being or some kind of, like, dude whose skin's made out of tinfoil and you got a big robot claw kind of thing and stuff like that. Uh, suffering. Yeah, 
I don't want to do it air horns, man. It's just the uh, yeah they kill the they they kill the visiting humans, and the last image of this story is the last lonely man who's this guy whose skin's made out of sheet metal, and he's got a robot chest, and he's just he's just crying robot tears that'll probably cause his skin to rust. It's real it's tragic. really horrible. Yeah, and that's yay. Yeah. 2000 AD, so Always. much fun. <laughs> Takes us to a quick uh, non-thrill about John Glenn, first man in orbit, high-quality American, always fun. And capitalist and Democrat. Good job. Hey, so so on and so forth. Which brings mm. us to, uh, again, Thrill 11, Invasion. And, as I said, at the, you know, before we started the show, it's like, let's just reanimate this corpse so that all the children are like, oh, it's Invasion, and then just... Have yeah. it be a corpse for them to look at. It's sad, man. So we'll recall Invasion is uh, the year 1999. The Volgans, have in, the, the Volgans have invaded England and conquered it and stuff. Uh, tough resistance fighter Bill Savage and his aide-de-camp Peter Silk are the main lines of offense against these invaders. Yep, so, so far uh, so good. Yeah, so Dateline, <clears throat> Bristol... The Clifton Suspension Bridge spans the River Avon uh, and goes into a uh, what was once an aircraft plant, but is now the source of Volgan um, nerve gas anti-resistance missiles. I, I was excited at this point because this was like, if you remember, part of the beats that we liked about Invasion was like these sort of touring locations yeah, to... then just destroying them. Absolutely. So, uh, in a hidden sub, the brigadier, the uh, you know evil authority figure that rub, that rubs up against Bill Savage, says, uh, "Yeah, so we're gonna send a bunch of demolition experts on rubber canoes to go underneath the bridge and then destroy this air, this aircraft base." Hooray! And Savage is like, um, "Like, nah, this isn't th- this won't work." <laughs> so. As always. He and Silk go out early. They take their canoes to shore. And once there, they sort of, you know, attack a Vogon patrol, steal their APC, drive up oh. to the bridge ahead of time. They they pick up the assault rifle that one of them was using, or rather Bill Savage does, and it's got a bayonet. And he throws it at a dude, like, through his chest, it's which is what awesome. I was like, oh, maybe this is going to be pretty good. Like, kill number <laughs> one, right? Yeah. No, it's so, all downhill from here. <laughs> so they, arrive they even at, have a, a, a truck with stuff in it, and you think, like, ah, oh, awesome. No. So they arrive at this Bristol Bridge. While there, they see a uh, like, like a, a fuel truck that's about to cross, and they're like, hey, this gives me an idea. So awesome. Also they, says Shell on the side, by the way. <laughs> they steal a fuel truck. They uh, cover this bridge with fuel. They set it on fire, and this allows the commandos to successfully enter Bristol and destroy the missile plant and blah blah blah. Victory Savage. God, it's like the coolest thing that happens is they set a bridge on fire and that ain't that cool, man. It's okay, but it's not It's not those... There, there's no gleeful shotgunning that I really want from a huge uh, invasion story, you know what I mean? And no, it feels more like uh, you know, the hero that kind of does things behind the scenes and lets other people sort of take the credit. Like, that's mm-hmm. what this felt like, was was just some, like, oh, we're just the guys who come in and make sure everyone survives. Not the, I'm the guy who comes in and single-handedly nearly 
takes down an entire military organization. Yep. Yeah. Real under this... under underachieving for for Savage, even in comparison to some of the other annual and special stories that we've seen him do. Well, I feel like someone explained like the beats. It's like, hey, you know, these are good things to have at like these particular times, mm-hmm. um, just to like keep the story moving. But they missed the whole like content and character portion of it, which whatever I guess, right? They're just the main plot devices of the fucking comic <laughs> for sure yeah yeah so quick non-thrill there's a good old crossword it's got space stuff and so forth but takes us quickly to thrill 12 judge dread just kind of a return to form uh to like the original dreads this week yeah this is like you know we've seen sort of at, over the course of the Cursed Earth, we've really seen Judge Dredd evolve into a new look and a different sort of bearing and stuff. And this is more of a return to sort of the original version of Dredd. He's a little skinnier, got mm. kind of a different looking helmet and stuff. You know, just a different, slightly different character. Less of a chin or a more tapered chin versus <laughs> the, uh, the you know, squ- square brick that we're starting to get more and more of in uh, the modern progs. But basically, there's a wave of deaths among the the less fortunate, sweeping Mega City One. Judge Dredd investigates. He stops by everybody's favorite informant, Max Normal, the pinstripe freak. So awesome. Judge Dredd gets the answer. It turns out to be a suicide arcade. Which you, I wasn't expecting that coming nah. in. It's cool though. You uh, you hit the top score. You win money. You 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 don't get the top score. You die. Oh. Which, I mean, like, it didn't seem like there was any particular reason that this stuff was happening. It's just like, nah, we just kill you. Well, yeah, like you sort of, you play pinball or something, and or or like a slot machine. You mm-hmm. pull the lever, and you either get the uh, get the right thing, or and 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 then you win money, or you uh, or there's a, a gun comes out and it blasts you right in the face, and it's like, oh, geez, you know. I mean, it's like I'd get it if it was like recording for people who wanted to see deaths or something like that. It's just no, not it's just a malicious. Being, yeah, Doctor yeah. Panic's evil, man. I, which I appreciate. I, I that, like that he goes yeah. to the evil, the evil extent of making something comically evil. For sure. Yeah, so Judge Dredd tries to break it up. He gets beaten up by the uh, guys at the uh, in the arcade thing. He gets taken <laughs> hostage, and we see the evil owner of the Death Arcade, Dr. Panic, who's this kind of cyborg guy. Who's got a shirt on that just says Panic across the chest. It's great. Of course. He's got a shredder <laughs> look to him. Yeah. <laughs> so he sort of p- pits Judge Dredd against this uh, robot Against this robo judge, it's like a quick draw expert. Yep. Dredd's only got one bullet to try to take this this uh, robo judge down, and rather than shoot him, he shoots the volt the uh, high voltage power box for the for the arcade, shutting all the all the all the lights off. Smart guy. Yeah. Uh, but Doctor Panic, not that smart for keeping that in there. <laughs> Doctor Panic goes to investigate and turns the lights back on and try to reposition the robo judge so now he'll shoot Doctor Panic instead. Um, <laughs> Dread pushes Panic out of the way at the last minute, grabs Panic's gun, kills with the Robo Judge, and now Doctor Panic is arrested, and he'll do twenty years in the Time Stretcher, which sounds what pretty is, bad. What is a Time Stretcher? I don't know. I don't think we've heard an explanation for it yet. Okay. If there ever is one, you know. 
Uh, yeah, like uh, neat return to form, kind of like uh, you know, villain of the week sort of stuff for Dread. But I, I always kind of found that stuff charming more so yeah. than than terrible or anything like that. No, and it's, it's not, just a fun bad guy, whatever. And and it's not in in like a lot of these um are returned to form or rather a, a like kind of a hearkening back to the yeah they're old, old school versions of a lot of these guys yeah which is neat but most of them fall on their face <laughs> speaking of falling on your face right thrill 13 harlem heroes it's a lot of face punching and smashing in this one and then yeah. also racism <laughs> So it's the return of the Harlem Heroes. This one's a full color story, which is nice. Um, yeah, and it's just straight back to Arrowball. So it's pre Inferno and stuff before all these guys died in the Inferno match. Mm. Um, and they're playing the uh, the Arizona the or sorry the Apache Demons of Arizona. <sighs> and all of their all of their fans yeah. were like, uh, yeah. But so, you know, the match is going moderate, I think. Um, <laughs> like the uh, the hero or the uh, the, the demons are, are ahead early, but the heroes managed to equalize at one point. Um, one of the heroes, Harry, gets like lassoed by a bunch of the Apache demon teams by, Which, a, by the Apache demons like um, like 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 hooligan fans, basically. Uh, and I do just want to call out, like, before this point, Harry said to Giant, quote, Yeah, Giant, big ol' Harry's tougher than Indian trash. <laughs> Let me take the it's, blast off. It's tough. <laughs> it's, but, yeah. But so, eventually, the uh, the no-no wagon arrives, and the no-no <laughs> squad. Which? <laughs> which is apparently a bunch of refs that enforce anti-airball hooliganism by if you start hooliganing up they shoot you with this green paint that smells bad and <laughs> it takes three months to wear off oh man so it's like uh, that's what we do with hooligans we shoot them so they turn green and smell bad for three months that'll teach them for in a fear well, but then you just have a lot of angry, smelly people inside your stadium. Nah, man, we this is the answer to sports <laughs> hooliganism we've all been looking for. <laughs> just cover them in poop? Yep, green poop that sticks to them forever. Or for oh, three months. God. Anyhow, uh, the heroes end up winning when the star player of the demons accidentally rockets out of the roof of Which, the stadium and explodes. Yeah, it, it wasn't too great for him. Um, for just being a normal player. Yeah, but, you know, heroes win, uh, and everybody should remember that they, that uh, when it comes to sports, the players <laughs> should play hard, not the fans. And this is during their, uh, for whatever reason, shower scene. Well, they're out after the match. they got to have a big group shower to, you know, talk about stuff. <laughs> this, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Don't because, you know sports, buddy? Because, <laughs> like, I've, I've done the whole, like, because like, I used to be in swim, so it's it's not like showering after a thing is is weird. It's just that this has never happened in, in Harlem Heroes. So it's like, hey, guys, it's, it, it, they are nude. They just, like, black out, like, anywhere beneath the belly button. <laughs> This is bizarre. Yeah. It's such a weird thing to throw in there. <laughs> so two more quick uh, non-thrills. 
There's another uh, diagram of the eagle craft, the uh, like sort of smaller shuttle crafts that that Dandare uses. I feel like we've seen it before. Yeah, both this and the um, di- diagram of the star fort in the Dandare annual were both previously done in Prague's. Lazy. Yep. And then um, just a feature on Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins, the first moon dudes, and <laughs> Looking like best studs. Buds. Yeah, well, they walked on the moon, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, speaking of walking on the moon, Thrill oh. 9 continued. Guinea pig. I really feel like this is just an outlet for all of the visible man story stuff that they didn't get to do. Maybe. Um <clears throat> So Mike Lane, he's on the moon. He's being attacked by some kind of weird moon tentacle monster. Yeah, getting tentacle porned like all over the place. Yep. So he uh, asks what to do, and they're like, "Ah, come back to Earth with the tentacle monster attacked to you. It's not really killing you. We'll see what it's like on Earth." Oh my God. So he Annie grabs back to Earth. They uh, hit the tentacle monster with the sleep gas and get Mike out of the ship, out of his uh, spacesuit and stuff. Of course, the sleep gas. It's fired by a, uh, by, by a bazooka. Um, <laughs> they try to um, like take the tentacle monster in for observation, but instead its tentacles start turning into like uh, pipes. And the whole, th- the whole thing starts turning into a huge building. Oh my gosh. Getting sexy with buildings and with people now. Basically, this tentacle monster just becomes a whole mini office park in the middle of this research um, facility. It's really bizarre. And so they're like, hey, Mike, uh, how about that? Or Mike Mike Lane sort of suggests like, hey, how about I become intangible again and uh, check out what's going on inside these buildings? So they're like, hey, yeah, good idea. Go, go, go do that. <laughs> He comes intangible, he walks around the buildings, they're full of tentacles, but he manages to find the brain center of the uh, of the tentacles. Yeah, it's weird. Because of that, he can direct like the flamethrowers and the uh, artillery shells and stuff like that to where the uh, shapeshifter's brain is, and they end up killing it, and it's good times. It turns back into tentacles from buildings. <laughs> and Mike manages to survive... Um, when he comes to, they're like, all right, Mike, you're done sleeping. It's time for you to get back to work testing stuff. And he's like, ah, I just saved the world or whatever. Give me the night (laughs) off. Stroll on. Yep. And, uh, that's it for Guinea Pig. Stay tuned for more Guinea Pig in 2080 annual 1980. (laughs) That's the next time it shows up? Well, I mean, that, 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 that's next year's annual, yeah. That's awesome. Like, the... This and Phantom Patrol are apparently just annual-only stories, I guess. At least this is actual schlock. Like, this is real, actual, schlocky, schlocky, schlock. Yeah. Um, they, use, they use a gas bazooka, for God's sake, and tentacles turn into a building. It's good, um, man. The Phantom Patrol can uh, can basically go eat uh, rocks. We, we aren't quite there yet, because there's one last thing. Oh. 14 mini covers this is like the last round of those uh super cover spectacular things that we've had previously um one is some guy teleports and finds himself inside a pinball game being run by aliens and cyborg alien guys oh hey it's that rl stein story 
Exactly. And then the next one is, um, oh, here's a bunch of cavemen killing each other with stone weapons. And uh, passing by aliens are like, oh, those humans, look at how violent they are. They'll never amount to anything. And we showed you, hu- showed you aliens were violent and we're here to conquer the whole galaxy. So screw <laughs> you guys. <laughs> yep. We're going to kill you. And that's it for the, uh, for the annual, man. What were your top and bottom thrills for this annual? Oh, good lord. So, positive marks to guinea pig for giving it the good college try. It's schlock, but like all uh, 2000 AD comics, I want to see more of it before I can make a judgment that it's that it's something good, you know? <laughs> um, so, I'm going to go out and say that my top thrill was actually Mach 1. Nice hockey action. Yeah, man. I mean, he gets smashed in the face with a hockey stick uh spin or captures some dudes in nets spins them around throws them into another guy mm-hmm. and then clocks a dude at nearly 600 miles per hour with a hockey puck Super basically fit. murdering yeah. him totally I, no like well, literally murdering really him that guy dies <laughs> from that but they specifically so I, say like, that he dies <laughs> like special mention to food i thought that one was pretty good um yeah, that was that was pretty much it. Like guinea pigs worth a read. All right, but top one is uh, Mach one. Nice, absolutely. Um, and, and how about your bottom throw? Oh, I'm. I mean, good lord, uh, Harlem Heroes. Yeah. I, no, in fact, I'm gonna go Invasion. It's just at this point, it's blatant and and shitty, and it's like every time they bring it out, it's like it's like a new Die Hard film. Every time I see Invasion now, I'm just like, oh, it's got all the like, uh, it's got all the the weird skin, but it fits loose on the body, man. <laughs> okay, gross. It's, just, it's really horrible. How about you, Conrad? <laughs> oh man. Okay, so my top thrill was Guinea Pig. I thought that was real fun, and I like the idea of there just being a dude who does who uh, does sci-fi experiments that they don't really explain to him. They're just like, here, take this pill. Oh, by the way, that pill's going to make you intangible, so you might not be able to hear anything, but it's very important that I... You know? <laughs> I like that style of story. Yeah. Um, and, like, for something that's just in the annuals, I thought it was surprisingly good as a comparison yeah. to my bottom thrill, which is Phantom Patrol. Phantom Patrol makes me just feel bad about this whole endeavor. Um... Phantom Patrol is a curse. Like, literally, when I saw it here, I was like, oh, man. And then I started looking through my later annual things, and I saw that he was in the 1980 one, and then in the 1981 one. Oh. And each time I saw it in those, I saw it, and I was like, <laughs> So, you know, yeah. look forward to that, I guess, in like 15 or 16 episodes. <laughs> it's just, you think they'd pull something more exciting out of the vault. It's like they're... They don't need it to go in a chronological order, so just give us the good ones. And I can't believe that this is like, oh, this is one of, like, the better ones we made. No. There's just so many, there's just so many words. (laughs) (laughs) And, and like, I know maybe we're coming off sounding like, oh, man, words are so terrible. There are words in comics, but... I, you kind of have to see it to understand, I guess. It's too many words. They're very tiny. It's hard to read. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> but hey, speaking of words, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or our 
Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're SpaceSpinner 2K. On everything else, just look up SpaceSpinner 2000 and we should be there. Tune in next time as we start two brand new stories for Judge Dredd and Flesh and welcome nice. Star-Lord refugees, Robusters, and Strontium Dog. Oh my god, it's going to be so amazing. Yeah, because this episode will only cover three progs with four thrills total, we're going to try to make this a, a new listener episode with explanations for new readers about what's going on with this whole situation, as well as some <laughs> recaps of the 2080 story so far. If you like the show and want to get a friend to check it out, you could do worse than recommending next episode. <laughs> yeah, um, man. You know, give it whatever. Do whatever. Until then, uh, I'm Conrad. He's Fox. And we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Earth Rig. Splendid Earth Rig. Earth rig.